Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the episode that Andrea McArdle probably doesn't want you to hear. It's monkeys and playbills, y'all. Surprise! And also our internet provider apparently doesn't want you to hear this because we yes. have <laughs> issues. Good point. Really good point. <laughs> That's Paul DeGers. That's Jillian Willems. You heard producer Daphne there. Hi. <laughs> It is our pleasure to welcome you to a very special bubba bonus episode <laughs> of Monkeys and Playbills. I love it. <laughs> Who are we, Backman Turner Overdrive now all of a sudden? <laughs> <laughs> so typically, typically this show is about Broadway musicals. Broadway musicals that had runs of 100 performances or fewer on Broadway, not counting previews. And what the heck happened? But that's not what we're doing today, is it? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, it's not. Today, instead... We had planned the second annual NBC musical extravaganza where we would watch NBC's live musical along with all of our listeners. Then we would release the episode for public consumption. It turns out that takes a lot of internet power to do. And the very personal home use internet that we have over <laughs> here at, uh, at my place did not cut it. So we were unable to deliver that episode. And I know that a lot of people... We're excited to hear us talk about Annie live, but we thought, oh, well, why don't we just talk about Annie in general? This is absolutely it. It, it. it doesn't feel like the NBC Live presentation made much of a cultural impact, although I heard it was nice, but Annie is absolutely a show worth discussing. We were excited to say some things about it, and also it's worth noting, it's a weird, weird time in the world right now. Sure is. Not to date this episode at all, but we've been hit by another uh, COVID-19 variant. It's a wild time. The future of the performing arts is once again kind of more in flux than it maybe it seemed a few months ago. What we've learned by now is that what this needs is a few people talking passionately about the minutia of Broadway musicals and Broadway culture. <laughs> I just think that people really want to hear our take uh, as the Omicron variant slowly takes over everyone I know and love. Yes. <laughs> I know that's what's going to really pull you all out of the darkness is mm. us <laughs> talking about Charles Strauss. Me drinking my father-in-law's homebrewed wine and talking about Annie. <laughs> it looks delicious. Or at least it would look delicious it's if I was good. not very hungover and the sight of it make, makes me want to vomit which is actually where I am right now. This is a very important tidbit <laughs> we should let everybody in on. So today happens to be January 1st. New Year's Day, start of 2022, spending it with two of my favorite people in the world, Daphne Finlayson and Jillian Willems. Jillian, Jillian is doing, doing a, a raise, the, raise roof. the roof action. <laughs> For those of you at home. <laughs> so we thought as a happy 2022, from us to all of y'all, we're going to do a special bonus episode with no format, we're just going to get producer Daff to set a timer for 30 minutes, for a half an hour. She's going to say go, and Jill and I are going to talk about Annie. Then she's going to say stop after 30 minutes after the timer goes off, and we're going to be done, and that's the episode. Yep, that's it. It's like a, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know what you'd call it. It's like a, I don't know, I don't, I, I thought maybe there was a sports analogy, but I can't think of one now. We are the wrong people to be sorting that. It's overtime, baby. <laughs> it's overtime, exactly. <laughs> we got sudden death overtime here. 30 minutes yes. on the clock. Let's talk about Annie. Jill, are you ready? Oh, I think so. Producer Daff, are you ready? All right. Camera's off. Travel safe. Here we go. <laughs> go. Okay. Here okay. we go. Paul, I'm going to begin with the uh, 
dates. So Great idea. Original production, just for context, of Annie opened on April 21st, 1977, and it closed on January 2nd, 1983, after 15 previews and 2,377 performances. Boom. So, so it's a little it's a little outside of our usual mandate. Uh, just it didn't, a small doesn't amount quite qualify. outside. <laughs> um, so let me think about what else was happening. So this is like a Charles Strauss show, which if you've been yeah. listening to our podcast, you'll know that we often have mentioned Charles Strauss because it doesn't seem like he has his hands on a lot of hits. No, he he has his hands on a lot of musicals. He writes a ton. Or he wrote a ton, rather. Mm-hmm. Bye Bye Birdie. Yeah, is another another hit. But other than that, I think it's mostly uh, lesser known shows. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman, which oh, is pretty right. goofy. It is goofy. I kind of liked it though. I saw it a few years ago and I and I kind of enjoyed like that sort of style. I think it, it had a revival with a new book from the um the guy who runs Riverdale now, if I'm recalling oh, correctly. Oh, sure. This is sure, very sure, vague sure. in my head. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you think it was because there were kids that it was just like such a draw? Well- I think there's many reasons. I think this is a great show. I suppose we should get right into it. We've only got 30 minutes on the clock. I know. So there's we no really point in beating around the bush. <laughs> I think Annie's great. I think it's a really nice musical. So what do you like about it? I like the kid. I think it's I think it's very smartly constructed. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that it's centered around child performers, mm-hmm. but has a whole bunch of like big old character roles to take the to kind of ease the effort off the child performers a little bit from time to time. Absolutely. Obviously, it draws a lot of comparisons to Matilda, oh, um, another yeah. show that features that relies really heavily on child performers. But I feel like Matilda's big failing is that it never really gives those performers a break. Oh, yeah. Okay. And or no, not a substantial one at any rate. And even the best, best, best 11-year-old actor is still the, the stamina that's required to really carry a musical mm-hmm. with no breaks is, um, I think it's too intense for a lot of children. It's too intense yeah. for a lot of adults, man. <laughs> oh, well, exactly. So I like that there's these big breaks where you just get like Rooster and Miss Hannigan and uh, Lily stuff. Mm-hmm. Those are good moments. I feel like the the actual Annie track itself, while it is a very, it's a great track, there's been a lot of great performers that have come through that track. It doesn't require the level of emotional nuance as um, maybe something like Matilda. Yes. Yes. I could agree with that. It's kind of just... I'm hopeful and scrappy. I'm hopeful and scrappy. I'm hopeful and scrappy. I think I'm going to like it here. Oh, now I'm a little sad. Nope, the sun will always come out and I'm good, you know? <laughs> so that's my hot Annie take. What's your take on Annie there, Jill? No, I actually quite I quite like your take. I So I had such um, a deep, deep connection to this material from a young age. Like after yes. seeing the production, like I saw a touring production and I immediately yep. was like, oh, I need to do this show. And I was like, you know, 10, 11 years old. And just something just drew me because I saw myself in those characters. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I wanted to be Annie, but but I also probably wanted to be like a sassy orphan, you know? Right. (laughs) Like, oh, you be the sassy fun one. She does a flip. (laughs) Like, you be her. Jennifer Willems, if you're listening to this podcast, which I know that you are, um, <laughs> please don't take that personally. Yes, not at all. <laughs> so yeah, I was very connected yep. to the material. And then totally. I had an opportunity to do it in 2012 at Rainbow yeah. Stage. By that time, I was uh, I was older. I was 23. Yep. So I had yep. already outgrown 
the orphan side of things and I had to move on to kind of the next phase. But I will say the ensemble in the Broadway production of Annie is really fun. Yeah. It's so much fun to Mm -hmm. do. Like you're singing such a wide range of styles even within this musical that I just, yeah, I loved it. I loved it so much. Absolutely. It's what makes this show really easy to watch because it starts with exactly what you want starts mm-hmm. with annie singing maybe far away gorgeous um, and then hard knock life everyone loves it right out the gate they're mm-hmm. scrubbing and scrubbing in time <laughs> miss hannigan's very grouchy they're all sassy right uh, um, yes. <laughs> um and you, you know the show better than i do joe but pretty quickly we get out of there and mm-hmm. we get to we go to like the slums of the great depression right yes we do we jump right to hooverville Get the kids out of there and just get a big old like ensemble number in place where you can have everyone with tricks flipping around the stage. Yeah, we need it all. Yeah, Hooverville's the one where you're just complaining about Herbert Hoover. We'd like to thank you, Herbert. That's the one. Yeah, totally, totally. (laughs) Probably one of the worst songs in the show, I would say. Yeah, and it's. I, I agree. I, I like that it sets the scene for like the Great Depression. Yes. But as far as like times are hard goes, We've already gotten that with Hard Knock Life. Yeah, totally. So like, I guess the idea is, oh, but the times are hard for the adults as well. But then for the rest of the show, pretty much, we're going to live in unimaginable wealth. Well, of course, we don't want to sit too much in the the poverty and depression. God, gross. That's not the night at the theater we paid for. (laughs) I don't want to see the poor. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's exactly, yeah. Okay, here's my my question. Okay, go. I have a theory that the best plays ever the best movies are the ones that are able to be maybe centered around kids and what we deem to be maybe kids stories but that resonate with adults hell yeah okay and maybe annie is one of those i would love to hear a little bit more about this theory so what are other (laughs) best pieces of media that center around either kids or kids stories so finding nemo jumps out for me It's to me, it's yes, it's like this Nemo adventure story, but also then you're seeing this like connection to dad and then there's all of these like other characters and then there's these jokes that really only resonate with adults, like puns and little like quirky, yeah, inside jokes almost. And I feel like the wink and a nod thing is, is in Annie too. I think it absolutely is. We got kids, we got dogs, so the kiddos are going to come see it. But there's enough there. And I remember even as a kid watching the movie, you know, the 1980s movie, and getting to the parts with uh, with Hannigan and Rooster and Lily. And even as a kid being like, there's something sinister here. Like there's something a yes. little a little more than I'm ready for right now. Absolutely. Like just that, that hint of like unhinged adults. Yeah. It's like, oh, maybe you shouldn't be looking after these kids. Like has, Ro- has Rooster ever killed someone? Oh, probably. Like probably, right? <laughs> I also think those are some of like the best forms of children's media is the media that that makes you see adults as people mm-hmm. yeah. and like not necessarily like these infallible authority figures that we've gotten so used to when we're younger. Totally. So let's talk about let's talk a little bit about the adults in Annie because it's very interesting. Like you said, the kids are or like we said, the kids are pretty easy to trace all told. Mm-hmm. The only kid who's got like a real arc unless I'm forgetting something is Annie. Yeah, pretty much. Annie's arc is pretty easy to follow. Mm-hmm. She just wants a family. She wants people to be nice to her. And she's very optimistic. Yes. But the adults have a lot of interesting stuff going on. Like we kind of we kind of have these two these two factions. We have the, 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 the orphanage brigade mm-hmm. of like Miss Hannigan, like 
um, grumpy owner of the orphanage. Rooster's her brother? Yes, correct. Her brother Rooster and his girlfriend Lily, who mm -hmm. are like straight up criminals. Fully criminals. And then we've got the eventual, where Annie eventually goes to live, the, the Warbucks mansion, which is just like a, a million, a billionaire's mansion, but everyone's really happy. Yeah, which is confusing. I mean, well, okay, I guess if it's the Depression and they're all employed. Yay. Then they're prob there's probably joy there. I hadn't even thought about it until we started talking about it just now, but it, it kind of rubs up a, the wrong way a little bit, hey? Where it doesn't uh -huh, really say anything uh -huh. about class disparity or wealth disparity. <laughs> but it's kind of a big thing throughout this musical. It like glosses <laughs> right over it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Hooverville, they mention it because they're trying to maybe set the yeah. stage, but then they also never use it later, which is maybe why it doesn't happen in the movie. Because in the movie, they that right. song doesn't happen. That's right. Yeah, you probably wouldn't even know that it was set in the Depression. I don't think I clued into that as a kid watching it. Like, the only other thing that sets it in the Depression is the fact that they go to see FDR. Sure. But, like, as a kid, your context for, like, the Great Depression is, like, you heard about it once, you know? Like, someone yeah. mentioned, like, your grand my grandma was like, oh, yeah, the Depression. It's not. Right. Yeah, you don't know, you don't know what, the, what that implies. Yeah, like I can't really conceptualize that as a child. Yeah. So maybe there's something to the fact that they were like, you know what? Let's not even try to get into it for this movie. Let's just <laughs> leave it for the musical. Right. Like, I don't know. <laughs> but then you also have the movie that like came out a couple of years ago with um, Quavonjane Wallace playing mm -hmm. Annie. Oh, and Cameron Diaz, right? And that was set more or less in uh, the modern day with uh, Jamie Foxx as uh, Daddy Warbucks. That's right. right. And like... I don't think that really gets to touch on that in quite no. the same way either because the class issues that we're talking about nowadays are not dissimilar to the Great Depression, mm -hmm. but they're more racialized yes. nowadays than they were kind of during the Great Depression where yeah. life kind of sucked for everybody. Mm -hmm. Historians in the in the crowd, please let me know if I'm wrong. This is no research, but just, yeah, that's, that's my thoughts. Okay, do we want to talk for a few minutes about the FDR scene? Kind of the, probably one of the most iconic scenes besides Hard Knock Life in Annie. I would say it's the elephant in the room, so let's just get that out of the way. <laughs> Where Annie basically goes, wait a minute, what about a new deal? And FDR <laughs> goes, what did you say? Oh my god. Like full on, like historical that? biopic. Like, what if there was like some kind of sign that people wore that like let them know their relationship status? Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> if only I had a book to remember all these faces. Oh, oh my, my god. What if there was a new deal? <gasps> Annie, take my keys. Fuck my wife. So Annie prompts the greatest care package ever introduced to the citizens of the United States. Annie ends the Great Depression <laughs> by reminding yeah. everyone that the sun will come out tomorrow. Oh my god. And then they all sing along. That's the, the only time she, or the first time she sings that song, right? Am I misremembering? A uh, second time. That's the reprise. Okay. It happens kind of nearer to the beginning of the play. Yeah, the reprise is in FDR's office. I can't believe I'm saying that. I can't believe that's a sentence in FDR's office. <laughs> for all the for all the um, the flack it gets, and a lot of it rightfully deserved for being a cheesy, dumb song, um, the sun will come out is a really remarkable piece of theater writing. Mm, get into it. I want to hear why. Because it's this shorthand for Annie's entire outlook and what makes her special. Mm. You know, okay, so Annie, Annie's based on this um, on this comic strip, right? Yes. And the whole the whole thing is like Annie is this scrappy orphan whose unfailing optimism inspires everyone around her, including Daddy Warbucks. Yeah. Um. So rather than having to 
spend a whole bunch of time like writing your way around this and trying to get a um or rather to get a young actor to depict unfailing unyielding optimism you've got Mm -hmm. this song that really simply and in a really catchy way um lays that all out and kind of serves as a shorthand Mm. for this is annie this is what annie does i'm in agreement with what you're saying and i also think that it that song because of the reasons that you just listed that's why it's become so popular it's become so it's so much a part of people's brains even if they don't consider themselves theater people they probably know the song yeah no it's it's remarkable and there's a few yeah there's a few really good like songs in it we should actually maybe talk a little bit about the some of the music and lyrics i would love to absolutely Uh, there's not that many like total bops in this show but they all seem to kind of happen in act one Oh, and then there's Never Fully Dressed in Act 2, which is great. Oh, absolutely. What do you think? What do you like in the show? I think that Never Fully Dressed is like, okay, but that's kind of just like a middle-of-the-road Charles Strauss. Sure. Reliable. We've heard that before. That's not a musical maker. Mm -hmm. I agree completely that there's only two or three real-deal bops in this, and they're all from Act 1. Yeah. I would say Hard Knock Life is a real-deal bop. Mm Mm-hmm. I would say Easy Street's a real bop. Oh, yes. I think um I think I'm gonna like it here as a total bop. It sure is. I like parts of NYC. I like the the start of B mm-hmm. is a iconic Broadway moment and is referenced in one of the funniest jokes on the show Thirty Rock of all time. Wait, which joke? It's like um help me out on this, Daph. It's you actually see like a star to be get out, get off yep. the bus and sing the opening lines. Three bucks, two bags, one me. Yes. Say, where does a young prostitute get started in this town? Yeah, totally. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Oh, I love that. What about you, Jill? What are some of the highlights in this soundtrack for you? Maybe is a total bop. Maybe is a great song. Uh, yeah. Hard Knock Life. And I actually love fully dressed but i like the kid one like the reprise and then i also because i played a boylan sister and i actually love doing those like tight three-part harmonies like those little radio section so cute but then this is maybe where it's different like when something's really fun to do but maybe not like a total bop from the outside like, I think there's a bit of that in this show. Yeah, absolutely. Where it's like, oh, I love singing these big ensemble things, but like, eh. For me, it's mostly just never fully dressed, doesn't quite land because I think it's not for me. You know what I mean? It's like a bit of a play on um, radio ads, right? Mm. And that's mm-hmm. just not something that's ever been in my realm of experience. Yeah, exactly. So maybe we could talk a little bit about Annie and pop culture. Oh, absolutely. there's a few, <laughs> right? So, Paul. Yes. Certain... Things come to mind when I think of like the way that Annie has like permeated pop culture somehow. I don't really fully understand, but maybe maybe yeah. we can figure this out. So when I told David that we were going to do this, yeah. he immediately was like, I didn't really get into Annie, but I loved Jay-Z. <laughs> ha! That's like not dissimilar to my experience either is the um, Hard Not Like Jay-Z song. Oh my God. Like listening to it in middle school or whatever and being like, oh. I was going to say like Hmm. probably early 2000s, right? Yeah. And being like, geez, hip hop is cool and Jay-Z is a really good rapper. But also, geez, that's a kind of a cool musical texture, hey? I would watch that for two hours with an intermission. (laughs) 
<laughs> right? Okay. So I think a lot of people learned about that song specifically through Jay-Z. Or through um, Austin Powers too. Okay. Yes. I was just going to say, have there been other yeah. moments where people have like kind of successfully either pulled that song or other songs from the show? The Austin Powers 2. I haven't seen Austin Powers 2 in forever, but correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's the Jay-Z arrangement and it's just Michael Myers and uh, Vern Troyer doing it. I think right, that's right. Like it's sung by like Dr. Yeah. Evil. Dr. Evil and me. Right. Yeah, yeah, totally. Right, 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 right. There's the very funny 30 Rock joke that I mentioned. It's hard to say because it just seems like a musical that became so ubiquitous. It also feels like, for me, a bit of a spiritual successor to the Shirley Temple films. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Like, we've got this, yeah, like, yeah, plucky yeah. young orphan with a full head of curls going into people's lives and making their lives better. Like, animal crackers mm. in my soup could be, hard, like, hard knock <laughs> life. Like, they're, they could be the same exact same yes. songs. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but that makes very good sense. I was just going to say, I look through, like, other... Um, lists of other pop culture references to Annie, and there's like so many just to Tomorrow, appearing in like Roseanne, in Friends, mm -hmm. in Shrek. It was on You've Got Mail. You've Got Mail, exactly, right? I always come into these recording sessions with notes about the show, and this one was like specific to the live version, but I was reading the synopsis that I pulled up, and the last line of this synopsis, so I'm sure our listeners know, but in case they don't, the big kind of like conflict of this musical is that Annie is looking for her birth parents and Rooster and Lily decide they're going to pretend to be her birth parents so they can get this reward, this million dollars. It's actually yep. 50 grand in the 30s, but... Which is like a fair amount of money, yeah. Oh my God, it's so <laughs> much money. So the last line of the synopsis says... Um, okay, Rooster Hannigan and his girlfriend Lily devise a plan to come forward as Annie's parents. However, FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover and his staff determine that Annie's parents are dead. That's literally the last line of the synopsis <laughs> from Wikipedia. So brilliant. <laughs> what if that was the way the musical ended as well? You've got a oh whole God. thing, everything. <laughs> Annie, we have something to tell you. Your parents are dead. And when you hear the orchestra, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh my god. And the curtain's coming down and it's playing this like really, it's like a horn heavy reprise of tomorrow. Yeah. Oh my god. That is so funny. Ugh. Yeah. So actually the play doesn't end quite like that, but. <laughs> no. It's this weird thing where even if you don't know the musical at all, right from the start, as soon as like Daddy Warbucks is in the picture, you're like, well, obviously he should just adopt her. Like that's what's going to happen, right? Like that's how this goes. Yes. <laughs> Um, and it takes them so long to get around this whole rooster and lily thing. I wish I would have maybe read the comics. I do too. I actually, I, I haven't read many of the comics at all. So why is this show so friggin' popular, Jill? And we both love it. Why do we love it? It sounds dumb when we're talking about it. I think it's kids and nostalgia. Yeah, I think it's kids nostalgia. I think it is good writing, like actual good music. Mm -hmm. Charles Strauss's, oh, nope, I have a take. Ooh, tell me. Because this, um, this comes after Chorus Line mm -hmm. by a few years. Chorus Line, which, as we know, spawned the modern uh, musical workshop process. Mm -hmm. And Annie was very famously workshopped at, um, at Goodspeed in 1976. Oh. Same company that workshopped uh, Come From Away many years later. Yeah. Um, so I would, I would pause it with um, having done much less research than I should have to uh, posit something <laughs> like this. <laughs> I would posit that Annie is a such a big late career home run for Charles Strauss 
because it had the opportunity to undergo what we now know as the traditional workshop process, which didn't exist before this time. So the refining of it was actually a possibility. And the workshop productions, going back to notes, going back to rewrites. So something before Out of Town, then Broadway's. Oh, I love that. That is perfect. So even though it is kind of a a dumb show that might have um, faded into obscurity, instead they had the opportunity to actually build it up into something that, in my opinion, punches way above its weight class, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree with that. Good job, Paul. How much uh, How much time do we have left, Def? You have two minutes. Oh my gosh, look at us go. Jill, final thoughts on Annie. Final thoughts on Annie are that I'm glad that it exists. I think it's really special. And if I have children, I'll introduce them to it um, as a gateway drug to other musical theater. But other than that, I probably won't sit down and listen to it again. But I have fond memories from it. And I hope that I can pass those on to the next generation somehow. If there was a really cool new revival cast, I would totally listen to it. Okay, good point. Yeah, I I, I don't think I would throw on any recording that exists, but I'd be interested enough to um to throw on like a cool revival. Okay, I'm I'm with you there. If that yeah, happens, you can get, you can get let's behind that. If get that together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, then you'll <laughs> do If that happens, party. let's that get together. Okay. And we'll have a drink and we'll try to make sure it's not New Year's Day so that you're not hungover. And we'll have a cocktail. <laughs> and we'll listen to the revival. The last thing I'll say as the timer's running out is I don't want to say too much about it cuz there's the potential we could stretch the rules and do a episode about it in the future. But this musical has a sequel. It's called Annie Warbucks. I've only heard a couple songs from it. Those songs were bad. Charles Strauss came back and wrote more music. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. So I'm sure one day we'll find a way to talk about that. So I don't want to say much more about it now. Yeah. But that kind of sums up the Annie, uh, the Annie legacy. Oh, amazing. Folks who are listening, please, please send us your Annie thoughts, feelings, and experiences. Absolutely. We've got a lot of friends, a lot of people we know who listen to the show feeling weird right now, who are struggling with um, being close contacts or even having COVID themselves because this new variant is just wild. I mentioned this not to bring Mm -hmm. real life into escapist entertainment, but to say, y'all, we love you all. And I don't know, it sounds trite, but just hang tight. We're going to get through this together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes talking about FDR in a musical is the way to get through it. <laughs> I'd like to end this episode with a sing-along of The Sun Will Come Out Tomorrow. I'd like to not do that. Oh my God. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> we're really struggling here already. <laughs> like, does anyone remember that like cover of like Imagine that came out at the beginning of this pandemic? Oh like, my that's, God. That's what we're going to be doing. And I don't want to oh, be I don't want to be Gal Gadot singing Imagine. <laughs> Jillian Willems, thank you for Skyping in from Ontario to uh, chat with us for a little bit. It has been a joy. A joy and a pleasure. Absolutely. We've got an incredible 2022 season planned for y'all. We have six episodes that are going to come out over the next three months, and we cannot wait. we got great guests. Oh, yes. Can we announce what our next one is, Daph? Oh, I think we have to. Yeah. Okay, go Jill. Oh, no, don't make me do it. Daphne, you do it. One second. I had to find the freaking Google Doc. <laughs> so up next, we've got Nick and Nora. And if you're thinking, oh, of the infamous playlist fame, no, you would be wrong. <laughs> wrong and bad. Yeah. Not that Nick. Not nope, that Nora. two different Nicks and Noras. Later up in 2022, we also have Diana with dear friend of the podcast, Raffi <sighs> Rosenberg. 
Oh, we're excited oh for that. Oh, gosh. Yeah, we're going to talk about Diana. We're going to celebrate the incredible artists who made a piece of art in pandemic. And we're going mm-hmm. to discuss some of the pitfalls of um, adapting the life of a beloved cultural figure like Princess Diana into a musical. Yep. <laughs> Much, to Much to discuss. Cannot wait. Stay, stay safe. Stay healthy. Love yourselves and love each other, everyone. Happy New Year. Hi, everyone. This is producer Daphne speaking. Thank you all so much for listening to Monkeys and Playbills, the show where we take a look at Broadway musicals that had 100 performances or fewer before closing. To learn more about the show, you can follow us on Instagram at monkeysandplaybillspod, on Twitter at monkeyplaybills, or email us at monkeysandplaybillspod at gmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash monkeysandplaybills. Fun fact, we also now have merch available. Visit the link in our description to learn how you can get your hands on some pretty cool friend of the podcast mugs, t-shirts, hoodies, and more. Monkeys and Playbills is proud to be a Village Conservatory for Music Theater podcast. Original music for the show is provided by Paul DeGers, and the show is produced and edited by Daphne Finlayson. Thank you all so much for listening, and join us next week where we take on Nick and Nora. <laughs>